Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Gary J. He comes to us from Manchester, UK. He's been researching what's been known as the Manchester Pusher. Uh, that's been known in that area. There's been upwards of 80 deaths, many of them very suspicious. I cover many of these cases in my new documentary, which is available now on Vimeo. I'll put a link to the documentary in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening to this live, go to Vimeo, look up Smiley Face or my name, William Ramsey, and the documentary should show up. It's about three and a half hours. I go in great detail about many of these cases, over 50 of these cases that are happening worldwide, and I come to some conclusions that I believe are unique. To do this interview, Gary J. sent me some audio snippets, and some of the subjects that we talk about are his background, his YouTube channel, some of the documentaries on his YouTube channel, some of his investigations. We talk about uh, the paranormal as well. And then I also include a Q&A that he covered on his YouTube channel, which is Curiosity. So go and check out his material there. It's very interesting. Thanks and enjoy the show. Um, what can I say about me? Well, I live in Manchester here in the UK uh, with my wife and two kids. Saying two kids, one of them's now an adult and she's getting ready to go to university. Me personally, I've always been around the entertainment industry, starting off as a dancer in nightclubs. I mean, I've always been into dancing and I started off as a break dancer when it first came out in the 80s. Got into the nightclub scene and then started dancing on TV as well. After working as a dancer, um, I was also working as a doorman or a bouncer as it's known, which was only part-time. I was only 18, just out of nappies. And the first door that I ever did was at a football club. And by 19, I'd been stabbed. Um, luckily, it wasn't too bad. It was just a small pen knife um, in the buttocks. So that wasn't the best. I mean, it was one of them where you get stabbed. You knew something had happened. Um, I actually thought it was a punch, to be honest. And as I've turned around... I've realised that there was a pen knife sticking out my buttocks, and that's when it hurt. So it's like that old scenario where you, it doesn't hurt until you actually see it, and that's that was so true on that occasion. So by 19, like I said, I've been stabbed, and it wasn't the best thing. And at that point, you also start saying, well, do I really want to do the doors? Do I really want to do this, carry on doing it? Well, I did. I didn't let it put me off. I, I loved it, I, you know, at the time. I was a little bit of a scrapper, I suppose, nothing major, but I wasn't, you know, I wouldn't back down from people at the time. I was young, I was fit, I was agile. Um, I, I used to box, I used to do martial arts, so I wasn't scared of anybody. Being a bit of an idiot, I just carried on. But later on, I was slashed, attacked with glasses, chairs, pool cues, women's heels, which are a killer, by the way, um, and more. And any doorman who did it as long as I did will tell you the same thing. It's it's part and parcel of it. It's not an every night occurrence. Some bars it is, some bars it isn't, but a lot of the time you can be sat there just having a chat. What I did after that, I stopped dancing and carried on with the door and then met my wife. So after that I started DJing and I started doing the odd wedding and party. So I was like a mobile DJ. And then I sort of like moved up to bars and then nightclubs and then I entered the DJ championships and became a finalist in that. And then I got signed up to DMC. DMC are responsible for the DJ, the World DJ Scratching Championship, so I was signed up to them. And then after that, I got signed up to All Around the World Records, 
here in the UK, which is part of Universal Music. So I was signed up to them and then appeared on a few of their albums. And then I opened a record shop and a record label, which I closed in 2007. And the reason I closed that is because of the internet. The, the internet had really took hold and people were just downloading music for free which in a way was a good thing but for a company like me a little independent it was really bad and obviously we couldn't sell records so ended up had to close it down so it made a, a big impact on independent record shops despite what anybody says to you people say no it didn't no it didn't yes it did so i carried on with that i carried on doing the doors still on and off on and off and then after a while I retired after 20 years of doing The Doors and now I make documentaries and I'm proud to say I'm also an author. Yep, I've now released my first ever book titled Where They Pushed or Did They Fall which is available on Kindle and Amazon. Shameless plug there, I know, but hey. I think it's one of those things that most people would like to do even if it's just something to tick off your bucket list and that was one of the reasons I did it. But either they don't get the time or they just don't think it's something that you can do but trust me when i tell you if i can do it anybody can do it you know if you want to write a book you sit down you have a go you know just go away somewhere quiet and just have a right good go and then see what you come up with now when i wrote the book for me i was on holiday in portugal with family and friends and it was one of those holidays that was there was nothing to do i mean i went over there my missus said oh yeah we're going somewhere where there's surf and stuff um, I took my big lens with me because one of my other hobbies is taking photographs of surfers and big waves. And I thought, great stuff. Got there, we were miles away from the waves. And just to be honest, it was one of those holidays where I was a bit bored. Now, the place itself was great. I mean, Portugal at the time was going through a heat wave. Uh, they were having forest fires and no one wanted to move. It was that hot. It really was roasting. Now, if you live in the UK, you'll know that it's always raining and we get sun about twice a year if we're lucky. But I'm one of those people that like to go out, look around, and if you knew my wife, you would see that she's one of those people that just likes to sit in the sun 24 hours a day, topping up a tan, which, to be honest, is great for her, but bores me. But at the same time, it's also great for me because it lets me go out, have a look around and get into things that most people don't want to look at, which I did while I was over there. I was going into abandoned buildings, etc. I mean, here we have young males who go out, get drunk, may or may not use drugs, get separated from the friends, disappear, only to be found dead in the water later on. Now, I went out in my youth, which I'm pretty sure you did and millions of others do. So what makes these individuals so different? Are you telling me that every single one has tripped and fallen into the water? Not a chance. Plus, why do these individuals disappear and then walk over to the river and throw themselves in in the first place if there are also accidents like the police are also saying? Everything about the UK deaths is mirrored by the US deaths, we know that. The only exception is that a smiley face is sprayed near the victims over in America. Now, if the police in the US and the UK are right, then it seems one hell of a coincidence that so many people are dying so far apart in very similar circumstances. If you look at it, it's just something just not quite right. But in my book, I look at the theories around the deaths, including links to the dark web, drugs, and obviously the serial killer or killers that are supposed to be involved in all this. 
Now, the dark web really has got the right name because some of the sickest people on this planet can talk about or act out the darkest fantasies without ever being regulated by companies like Google or Yahoo, etc. The dark web is so unregulated, you can buy anything on there. You can buy drugs, you can buy weapons, you can hire hitmen. I mean, it's even said that there's sex trafficking online, so you can go online and you can buy people. That is scary. The authorities have a hard time tracking the people doing this because your IP address is bounced all over the world, which basically means that I might be talking in Manchester, but because I'm on the dark web, my IP address is coming from Japan. So the authorities haven't got a clue where I am. Now, we've both made documentaries on the subject, have we not? And we've both wrote books, and yet the law enforcement is still saying there's nothing fishy going on. But if that's true, then why have we both found it necessary to document what's happening? We've had no links with each other, apart from the past two weeks where we spoke on Twitter. But we've had no links with each other. So what has made us document what is going on? People know when something isn't right and there's something strange with the amount of deaths around the world which are all so similar. I'm not saying they're exact but they're very very similar. I'm also not saying that every single person that's found in a river or a canal is a victim. That is what we've got to be careful of. You need to look at things and you need to research them before you automatically say that person is a victim of whatever the pusher or the smiley death killer or whatever you've got to research it and not just jump to conclusions the thing is people ask me what i believe it's not important what i believe it's whether you can look at the evidence that surrounds the case and make a true honest to god judgment no matter how far-fetched it might be and then you'll have the answer of what you believe and if that's your belief and that's good enough for me my job is to go out there, put myself in a situation that most people will find uncomfortable and come back with what I've found. Oh, Hunt for Manchester Serial Killer. God, that seems like a lifetime away. Um, I suppose the documentary came about after I saw a headline in one of Manchester's local papers that were going on about a serial killer who was trolling the canals of Manchester, pushing people into their deaths. I started to look into it and at the time I was looking for something to start off curiosity with and obviously I was thinking, oh, has anybody actually going to watch this? I've got a bit of a, a dodgy accent going on, uh, which is from up north. Will anybody look at it? So I thought, bugger it, I'll do it anyway. And I started to research it. I started to look at everything and I think the initial headlines said at the time that there were 61 deaths in the city's canals and a professor called Professor Craig Jackson from one of the universities here in the UK had stated that it was an extremely high number of deaths for the area and obviously for the canals. Now according to the papers he then said it had to be a serial killer. I've since spoken to Professor Jackson on the telephone we had a quite a lengthy chat, a lovely guy very chatty and he said the whole thing was taken out of context by the media. He said what actually happened was he had some concern over the deaths, and some of the deaths could be seen as suspicious. And then he said, I wouldn't even rule out a serial killer. 
Now, at that point, he was saying to me, he wasn't saying there was a serial killer 100%. He was saying he wouldn't rule one out. Well, straight away, the media jumped all over that, and it was like, oh my God, Manchester got a serial killer. It wasn't said like that. However, he still has concerns. He still says there is a lot of deaths. He does think something is going on, but he's not sure what. I started to research a little bit more, I started to look into it, I was trying to get CCTV and information off the police who wouldn't give me anything at all. Matter of fact, they started to just close ranks on me and just wouldn't talk to me. And they were starting to say things like, well, we can't give you that information because of this and because of that and data protection. And then all of a sudden, Channel 4 come along, they do a documentary on it and they've got all the CCTV and all the footage. Now, if it's data protection, it's data protection. So why could they give it to them? Why could they not give it to me? However, once I started filming the documentary, which was late in 2015, I think it was about November time, the death toll had risen from 61, which was in the paper, to 64 in a space of just a few months. Now, people were obviously concerned, especially the people in the gay village here in Manchester. The reason for that is because a lot of the bodies that were found were found in and around the gay village in the canals. And the canal that passes through that area is quite prominent within the gay village. Like I said at the time, Channel 4 then did a documentary just after me. I think it was around about January 2016. And Channel 4 is one of the main channels here in the UK. Their death toll had gone from 64, which I was reporting, up to 89. Now, I found that absolutely shocking. I was thinking, well, hang on a minute. How, how can we go from 64 to 89 in just a few months i mean i was like i said mine was in november theirs was in round about january february time and i was thinking that is a lot of deaths so then i really started to look into it now the police at the time were obviously claiming most deaths were suicide or accidents and it seemed strange to so many people that there were either people out there that was completely accident prone in such a short space of time or we had a really serious mental health problem here in Manchester because everybody was just drowning themselves, which both seemed highly unlikely. When I was getting ready to do the documentary, I was obviously really nervous. It was something that I hadn't done before. Like I said, I used to be a doorman, so I know I can handle myself to some extent, but I'm obviously getting older. I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm only five foot seven. But I'm nearly 50 now. I'm getting on a bit. So I was very... I was a bit concerned and I did everything health and safety wise I could to make sure that if anything did happen, you know, I was sort of like covered in a way. Um, so what I did was I wore a stab vest, which a lot of people didn't know. I actually wore a stab vest on the night just in case something did happen. Um, I had a torch and a camera. Um, I'd let my wife know what I was doing. She wasn't happy, by the way. But I let her know what I was doing. I told her if I wasn't back by a certain time, then she needed to ring the police and let them know where I'd gone to. Searching up and down the canals at that time in the morning was a bit nerve-wracking, I have to say. Um, I mean, I'm walking around a well-known cruising area, for one. Uh, and you know you're ugly when you don't get picked up by you know people out cruising for dates so but i was just walking up and down and had this stab vest on and i'm thinking to myself at the same time if anything does happen this stab vest is so gonna weigh me down now without giving the documentary away too much i did come across somebody but you'll have to watch the documentary for that and i spoke to interviewed a lot of people regarding it and if you watch the documentary you'll see what people are actually saying 
At present, I'm actually filming a second part to it. Without saying too much, it might open a few people's eyes. Now, when I filmed the first documentary on the deaths, it was claimed by the papers that I was the first person to actively go out there and look for a potential serial killer on my own. Um, and I, that had taken my life into my hands because I was filming on my own. Now, that's what I do with all my documentaries. I go out there and I film on my own, no matter what it is, whether it be ghosts or homeless or, you know, social issues, whatever. I just go out, I'm a one-man crew, I'm a one-man does all. Now, I think that story, when it went in the local paper, then bounced to every other national paper in the UK. And... I had people telling me that I had balls of steel to do it all alone. And then on the other end, I had people saying, Oh my God, he only did it for a night. He needs to do it for at least a week. <laughs> my answer to that is, All right, you want me to do it for a week? People that were found in the canal didn't walk up and down the canal for a week. They went down onto the canal towpass for a reason unknown to anybody else. And within a short space of time, they were then found dead the following day or a week or so after. So I had every chance of meeting the pusher as those poor souls did on that night. But as far as having balls of steel, I'll leave that up to you guys to decide. Curiosity is basically a test of nerves and honesty rolled into one. It's um, a series of documentaries where I put myself into situations that most people will find uncomfortable. And then what I do then is report back what I've found. Now... I have to say at this point, there's no trickery involved, no lies being told. It's what you see is what you get. Filmed and edited in a way to make it watchable. The reason I called it Curiosity is because I wanted an excuse to look at things that I was curious about. Whether that be something claimed to be paranormal or some sort of social issue like homelessness, which was something that I documented last year. The homeless documentary, Human Garbage, was something that I felt that I needed to do uh, because of the amount of people that were sleeping in Manchester on the streets. I mean, every time you walk through Manchester City Centre here in England, when you walk down the main drag, it's like every other doorway, there's somebody just sat there, homeless, begging, um, asleep in a doorway, and it's, it's not a good sight at all. But... What I did then was I went back and I looked at a lot of programmes and I watched a lot of TV programmes and documentaries where some celeb had slept out on the street for a night or a day and then went on to tell everybody how bad it was despite them having a full camera crew and security team with them. Um, and that, for me, just wasn't enough. So what I did was I planned to sleep rough on the streets for a week, uh, which again, to be honest, still isn't enough, but gave me a bit of a better insight to what it was actually like um, and then what I did was I, I documented what the reality was actually like for those that do sleep rough on the streets. I suppose without giving too much away, being attacked as I slept in the doorway just for being homeless, uh, that was the most shocking part for me. And the fact that I was threatened by the city's drug dealers and then basically told that they were going to murder me because they're on the streets and they thought I was a journalist. So it was a very eye-opening experience, especially since I do all my filming solo with no crew and no backup. And basically that meant I was on my own. So 
I had to really watch what I was doing. I had equipment with me. I'm sleeping with drug addicts and people taking crack and heroin. I'm sleeping with alcoholics. And I had to get into their world and get them to trust me, which, to be honest, took over a year. I had to go into town and sort of like walk their shoes. And I used to speak to them, tell them what I was trying to do. I wasn't hiding anything from anybody. Um, used to sit, have a brew with them, have something to eat with them, share a bit of food. And it took me about a year to get in with them before they would actually really trust me. Other than that, I mean, the people themselves, I know they were homeless. And, you know, for all the problems they had, bless them, they didn't have to look after me. Why do I film on my own? Um, I suppose that's a good question. I think it's because I like my evidence to be untainted. So, in other words, the less people have around... Crew-wise, the less chance I have of being told that I've faked something or I've mistaken something that another person has done, and then showing that as evidence, if that makes sense. Can you talk about your interest in the paranormal? Um, I enjoy the paranormal side of things, but unfortunately for me, most places that claim to be haunted don't want someone like me going and telling them the truth, because they're there to make money. They're a business, and I totally get that, I understand that. But what they actually want is someone like Ghost Hunters or Most Haunted here in the UK to turn up and then say to them that every noise they hear is 100% proof of ghosts. When, in reality, we know that is way far from the truth. Let me ask you a question, Bill. Have you ever seen an ad in a paper or been contacted by someone saying... Listen, my house is really, really haunted and I want someone to come and witness it. No, of course you haven't and I haven't. But the question is, is why is that? Why, if a person or a family is so scared and they're constantly being attacked by ghosts or demons, why are they not advertising? In this day and age, why aren't they saying, I need someone to help me, I'm constantly being attacked. That way somebody could go, we could actually film and actually see what's going on. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. You get ghost hunters turning up to houses that they've heard the odd story about and then claiming that everything they see is haunted. I've never seen an ad like that. Now, if ghosts and demons are so common as what the TV would say they are, then you would surely have someone out of their wits saying, I need some sort of help. This is happening to me, getting raped by demons, I'm being physically attacked by demons, and I need somebody to help me. In this day and age, I'm pretty sure you would have hundreds and hundreds of people saying, yes, I will help. But there's never ever, from what I can think of anyway, I've never seen an ad like that. If you go into what is claimed to be a haunted building, the odds of you seeing something is going to be very limited. I mean, you, you must agree with that. And when I say limited, I would even go as far as to say about 1%. Now, in every location I've stayed at at night to film, I can honestly say I haven't found 100% proof that the building is haunted. Most things that people class as paranormal in any location could be explained if you if you researched it long enough. If you actually sat there and looked at the video or looked at the photograph, you could actually explain it. But instead, what we're actually seeing is grainy video footage, grainy photographs, something that's in the shadows, and you can't say that as paranormal. It's a thing what we call matrixing and it's when your mind tries to make sense of what is in front of you. And what that actually does then is put something in your head that 
you've seen before or you what you would recognize so it might look like a face or all of a sudden you're looking at something you go oh yeah that's a face a lot of ghost hunting programs do a similar thing with voices when they use spirit boxes if you ever watch the ghost programs you'll hear them saying you know oh it made this voice and you'll hear this thing going and then what they do is they put words on the screen and they'll say this is what it said and because you're seeing those words automatically that sounds like what the words are actually saying so it then makes sense in your head that yes it does sound like that however saying that doesn't mean there's no such thing as ghosts or at least something strange but whether it be a person's soul or an afterlife well i have to say that's got to be proven on it and nobody and i mean nobody regardless of what they tell you has proven 100 percent that there is life after death the following is a q a that gary j did on his youtube channel concerning the manchester serial killer or pusher you can see it on his youtube channel under curiosity so go there and subscribe thanks hi guys welcome to curiosity this is blog number four where i thought i'd personally reply to some of your messages in relation to the hunt for manchester serial killer video that i did so without any more ado let's get this puppy rolling so in November 2015, I uploaded a video about a story that was starting to make a bit of a buzz here in Manchester. The story was, of course, the possibility that Manchester may have had a serial killer around the canal system, and then who would push unsuspecting victims into the water, thus being named the pusher by the media. Now, I have to say at this point, if I was a serial killer, I would want to name something like the psycho or the slasher or the beast or the chopper etc but the pusher really ooh scary i'd be absolutely gutted and i cannot stress that enough i mean come on if you're going to be a serial killer let's get a really good name anyway i digressed a little bit there i know i did but that's the way i am you know so loads of you left messages and i thought i'd pick a few out to answer personally well Damien contacted me and said maybe the pusher just wasn't around when you were investigating Manchester's canals are a big network well do you know something Damien you're right it is a big network and I had a lot of people saying similar things like you should have been down there a week you should have been down there a month you should have been down there two months well to be honest I don't think it matters whether I was down there a day a week or one year I had as much chance of bumping into the Manchester pusher as anybody else so I mean if you have a look at the deaths those people were hanging around for that amount of time they've been having a bit of a shortcut through they've been there for a couple of minutes maybe half an hour at the most cutting through and then they've unsuspectedly met their deaths how we don't know because GMP you know obviously are denying everything but you are right about one thing the Manchester system um, canal system is a massive network it's 36 miles long so you know sh should I have been down there longer my personal view is no because like I said I had as much chance of bumping into the pusher as any of the victims did but 
thanks for your message and I really appreciate it and keep popping back because I, I like the way you think to be honest well another person that contacted me was Dave alright Dave um, he says it could be someone using chloroform throwing people into the canal and that's why there are no signs of any wounds on the body well Dave I'm no doctor but it would be interesting to see if that was the case if something like chloroform was used so if there is a killer I mean maybe you're onto something I'll be honest with you you know stranger things have happened as we know so again I like the way you're thinking people thinking out of the box is this something the police have looked at we don't know Somebody else that contacted me was Frank Death. I like the name, I love the name. Frank Death said, Perfect hiding place for a COO killer in plain sight. A homeless bum sleeping rough under a piece of cardboard. Well, do you know something, Frank? You could be right, because like I said before, stranger things have happened. No one would blink an eye at a person sleeping rough, especially if they were drunk. So... That too is another possibility. Is this a person that's hiding in plain sight who nobody will suspect? If there is a serial killer, it would be the ideal situation. You know, somebody sleeping rough, most people take no notice of them, they just carry on walking past. We don't know. This, I mean, Frank could be onto something. Thanks for your message, Frank. And don't forget, keep popping back. Now, Guitar Git left a message saying, Great documentary, this has inspired me to go down there and have a look yesterday. The underground bit where you met the guy on the bridge with a very creepy place, even during the day, takes a lot of bottle to walk around there in the middle of the night. Well, like I've said before, when I get a message like this, it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, because people don't understand and don't realise that I started putting this together months before the upload date, you know, so I'd obviously been around there myself during the day having a look. Now, having a message like this, it's a big support to me, you know, it's it's great, it gives you a great boost and you think, yeah, that's, you know, something that people like and, you know, and I'm being appreciated for what I did, so thank you very much for that, I appreciate it. Well, another person that contacted me was Cy, uh, big old to Cy. He said, great documentary, your brave walk around the canals at night. And then he put the letter M and the number 8. M8. M8? Oh, mate, got you. Hey, these newfangled dangled words. Um, cheers, buddy, anyway, thank you. I'm getting on a bit. I don't catch on as quick as I used to. Now, another person who contacted me was Suits You, Sir, 1980. I don't know why I said it like that. It just sounds like it should be, doesn't it? You know, oh, Soup Shoe, sir, 1980. I think that fits quite well. I'm not saying you're gay or anything, but I think that there is. Sounds all right like that. Oh, Soup Shoe, sir, 1980. Anyway, he says, or she says, great video. You captured the tension. Well, the reason I captured the tension was because I was absolutely shitting myself. Um, you can't go down there and do these sort of things without being not being a little bit scared. Um, that's what keeps you going at the end of the day. It's all about pushing your boundaries and getting yourselves out there and, you know, being scared makes you alive. I've said it before. But thanks for the message. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, 
Victoria Webster left a message, another quality message actually, saying, Gosh, I was scared for you. The man on the bridge was rather odd. So many people are dying from this. Even if there isn't a pusher, Manchester Council need to sort out Man CCTV or extra vigilant police. I know it would cost a lot, but aren't 60 odd lives enough? Good video though. Well, Vicky, I hope you don't mind me calling you Vicky, by the way. It's just that I know some people get a bit funny about the names, but I'm going to call you Vicky. Okay. Anyway, it's nice that people um, are scared for me because, you know, it makes me know that I'm not alone when I'm doing these documentaries and, you know, there's people out there that appreciate what I'm doing. But, in answer to your question, you know, as far as man CCTV, well, in the economic climate of today, I can't see that happening. I mean, you've got cuts to the council, you've got cuts to Greater Manchester Police or the police in the UK generally. Um, it's highly unlikely that anything like that would be set up anytime soon. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, you're talking about 36 miles of canal. You know, we don't know if there is a pusher, we don't know where this person's going to strike next. So, putting cameras up, it's just not going to happen. It really isn't. I mean, don't forget, you've got it would cost an astronomical amount of money. It really would. Um, because, like I said, it's not just the equipment and everything else. You've got to lay all this CCTV. Then you've got to pay people to man it, to watch it constantly. The odds of it happening is very, very slim. However, it's always good to get your messages. And like I said, I appreciate it when people do leave messages. It's always good to have a bit of a discussion about these things. You know, without people getting all arsy and stuff like that. Some people think there is a pusher, some people think there isn't. I'm not saying either way, because like I've always said, I'm not here to prove or disprove what may or may not be out there. I'm just putting myself in a situation that people find uncomfortable and then reporting back what I've found. And then it's down to you lot to discuss and, you know, see what you can find. Well, before I go, I must say that the police are still disputing the fact that there is a serial killer here in Manchester. And, like I said, I'm not here to prove anyone wrong. I'm just here to collect the evidence and present it to you. So, what you need to be asking between yourselves, is there a serial killer? Well, at the release of my documentary in November 2015, there had been 64 deaths in the canals in and around Manchester. But, by the time Channel 4 here in the UK had released their documentary onto the TV in January 2016, and the number had risen to 85 deaths. Now, if their calculations are right, that is a lot of bodies. And even after that, couple of weeks after the documentary had been shown on TV, there was another six bodies. So, at present, the deaths are currently 91. That is a lot of bodies. Whether they're suspicious or not, I don't know. Anyway, thanks for leaving your message. Don't forget, keep them coming. You can leave them on YouTube, you can leave them on Twitter, you can leave them on the Facebook page, which is now up and running. And don't forget to visit the Curiosity website, okay? Also remember, not long before my visit to what is claimed to be Europe's most violent haunting location. So, stay safe.
Gary J., where can people find you online? Yeah, my website is www.curiosityuk.net. Yeah, you can also find me on Twitter, which is GaryJUK, and obviously at Twitter. Yeah, my YouTube channel is Curiosity UK. Yeah, there is a Facebook channel as well, which again is Curiosity UK. I appreciate you speaking to me. Thanks very much, Bill. Gary, thank you very much. Again, that was Gary J. He operates a YouTube channel called Curiosity. He's out of Manchester in Northwest UK. Um, he also has written a book recently. The title is Were They Pushed or Did They Fall? Gary's been in contact with the head researcher for my documentary, uh, Jim Smith. So they've talked and exchanged information as well. So uh, again, also go see my documentary. It's available now on Vimeo. You can look it up under Smiley Face or my name, William Ramsey. And I'll put the link to the documentary in the show notes. Thank you very much.